Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. On today's installment, we've got a discussion with our friends over at MetaCX. We had Drew Kelly and Dave Duke on the line with us. And it was a great conversation as we started getting into the whole concept of outcomes and outcome management and how that becomes so vital to a customer success team, really results driven and trying to make sure that we keep the customer's intended outcome at the forefront of what we're doing. So we had some discussion about sales and customer success. Um, We had some discussion about some of their methodology as they think about it and deploy it through their technology uh, and just really enjoyed the conversation and appreciated the time with them. So uh, feel free to take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. The Bomb Framework is actually about a year, maybe a little bit over a year old. I got together with James Scott of Success Hacker, uh, kind of well-known in customer success circles, and we were kind of brainstorming, you know, is there a better way to, to actually op- operationalize the work that it takes to, to uh, uh, deliver the outcomes that we're promising to customers? And as we did our homework, we really, really recognize that there there isn't a lot of structure there within customer success organizations to um, to focus on really what matters most to the customer which is the outcome so there's a lot of talk in the in the marketplace around business outcomes and we just thought it, it was time for a framework that would be um, supportive in in that uh, in that conversation so business outcome management is the practice of suppliers collaborating with customers to maximize business outcome delivery throughout the relationship life cycle. So it is really more of this, this tactical perspective that if, if the outcome is what we're working towards, then we need some, some, um, some tools to help CSMs manage uh, towards that over, over the life cycles. So we, uh, we, we think there's, there's a phased approach to managing that and it starts with this discovery phase. And this is where Drew and I really start to talk about, well, what does discovery mean in the sales process relative to the outcomes? And then what does that, what does it mean in the, uh, in the post uh, sales world? So uh, Drew, maybe talk a little bit about how you think about discovery relative to outcomes. I can kind of chime in on the, on the CS side. Yeah, thanks Dave. And um, it's a really interesting time to be in sales in general. Um, <clears throat> one of the topics that kind of plays along with the bomb framework and why it's super important is really the, the mindset that buyers have, which we've heard things like SAS fatigue, um, or just really having overwhelming <laughs> options. Um, are we even using the systems we currently have? The executives are asking them to kind of do a little more research into that. How can we optimize what our current stack look like, looks like? So kind of the, the, um, the easier way of selling would be to just kind of push out features in front of these buyers, but that's not really cutting it uh, anymore. And it's really about solving problems. And <clears throat> the way, I think the right way to do it for the sales perspective is in that discovery process, like landing on, it sounds simple, but the need, right? So like literally what would happen if this customer did not work with us? Um, and what if they start, what if they continue doing the things that they're doing now? What are those negative consequences of what they're currently doing? And um, now that we've met, here's kind of the proposed solution of fixing that, uh, which ultimately leads to these outcomes that they desire. And um, without going through that practice, and there's plenty of different formulas for that success to happen. And sales leaders are, are really working hard to implement that. You know, a lot of times it's hard to get adoption from those formulas, but when they, when companies do that, and which we're excited to do at MetaCX, um, you are able to kind of land on these, these desired outcomes for the, the prospect of the buyer. And if you can do that in a good way and actually document it, which um, once you discover those needs and then actually document it well, um, it creates a great partnership with customer success. Cause um, for a lot of organizations we've been learning is that you kind of get the excitement um, kind of increase of, 
of excitement in the sales process, ultimately to the point where they, to they sign a contract, but just getting them onboarded, getting their account provision, getting implementation kicked off, meeting new people. Um, we met with a vice president of customer success in Chicago this week. And she's just, she's just saying things like, I'm so tired of every department within customer success, whether it's implementation, um, uh, customer success, or even account management upsells. It's always like, Hey, what are your goals? Asking the customer, what are your goals? What are your goals? <laughs> and, uh, it's just getting a, getting old. And, um, and I'd like to raise my hand and say that salespeople can do a better job in this pre-sales process of defining those. Of course, they're going to change over time, but um, just, I think as an organization, knowing kind of what questions to ask uh, pre-sales, knowing what questions to ask, even when you kick off implementation, that is not going to drag things down and kind of lose the excitement, but really kind of keep it consistent, keep the flow going to the point where uh, we're not missing a step uh, in that handoff process. So um, I think that's something that we're excited to do with MetaCX in our product as well. But uh, the philosophy in general is something to be talked about for sure. I'm just going to build on that. So, you know, discovery really is, has uh, been a concept in sales for a long time. I think Drew highlights it well, just better discovery, focusing on, the, on those outcomes and putting them on paper. Uh, but that's also an exercise within customer success as well. We can't say discovery is over in the sale after the sales process is complete. It really is this ongoing exercise because the customer is evolving, they're changing, sometimes stakeholders are changing. So we should really always have that curiosity um, present in, the, in, those, in those conversations. Uh, making sure that we are working towards the proper set of outcomes uh, throughout the life cycle, especially as we get into year two, year three, or year four, if we're lucky enough to, to maintain the relationship over time. Uh, Drew kind of touched on it, but we think the second phase is really that documentation. So it's one thing to, to have those conversations. We do need to put them on paper um, and uh, or in a system uh, to make sure that we are uh, keeping them visible through, throughout the, the work and uh, front and center as we work to uh, deliver, which we believe is the, is the next phase. So, um, from a delivery standpoint, this is where we start to use our, our products and services to do the execution. And if we've done a discovery and documentation right, we, we should have created a path. So there, there's a path that um, we need to go on to achieve those outcomes. In other words, are, are they using the right products and services to uh, achieve those outcomes? Is it clear to our CSMs you know, what those activities are? I think there's always room for improvement on, on that front. Uh, but that's where the rubber meets the road often, oftentimes. Are, are we delivering the goods? And then in that exercise, we're trying to determine if, if those, that acti those activities we are doing are working. And that's where we start to evaluate. Are we, are we on, the, on uh, the path to achieving those outcomes? Um, if we are, great. If we're not, are we adjusting and, and making changes to, to get back on track? And the final stage is this idea of demonstration. So uh, we all know that we're trying to harvest great stories within the customer base, case studies, testimonials, whatnot. And uh, really, really the, the holy grail is, you know, satisfied, successful customers who are willing to um, become those advocates that, that uh, we want. So um, we, we often will say, let's keep the end in mind. So we want those, those uh, positive um, uh, relationships to, to uh, present opportunities for those, those great, great success stories. And uh, we call that the demonstrate phase. So that just in a nutshell is, is the, the framework. And, and uh, we think it's a, a great way to really, speaking of the word operationalize, operationalize the way that we manage the, the outcome work. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. So I think, you know, one of the things that comes to mind and the challenges with all this is that everybody's journey is so different and the value propositions are so different. Like, how do you guys think about that relative to standardizing these steps? Yeah. Because really it becomes a discipline issue, not so much of a, 
it's not that we don't want to do it. Everybody's talking about doing this right. in our experience. Nobody's doing it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, there's a couple observations there. And uh, actually, Drew and I just yesterday, literally, we're talking about this, this idea of an outcome playbook. So the, the idea of a playbook is not new, but maybe we should frame up the, the playbooks a little bit differently, um, maybe better for, for the outcomes that we are trying to, to deliver. And I, I would be the first to say that we should try to uh, templatize when possible, and really, as we talk about scale, but then uh, customize as, as necessary. And to your point, uh, Jay, we do believe there's a, there's a gap in technology here. So we do get excited about the role of technology as you start to uh, deliver on a strategy. And uh, we, we think there's, there's room for improvement within the market to be able to um, help customer success teams manage the work that it, that it takes to deliver the outcomes. And we are focused on that with our platform. Uh, we're focused on new ways of thinking about and bringing the outcome into focus, um, uh, understanding the work better relative to the outcome and, and thinking about ways to, to collaborate with customers. So um, we're excited to unveil it when it's, when it's ready, but conceptually that's, that's where we're going. We, we just think there's some of the fundamentals have been forgotten in many ways. And we're excited to, to, to showcase them in a new, in a new way with, with the platform. Yeah, one of the things, Drew, you'd mentioned earlier, which I was curious to kind of um, go in on a little bit deeper, you'd mentioned the idea of kind of SaaS fatigue, um, you know, it could be technology fatigue, whatever you want to think about it as, you know, at some of these organizations. So how do you, um, in the sales process, try to maybe navigate that? And then also, you know, then how do you kind of pass that baton, you know, over to somebody, you know, like Dave, who's in the customer success side and saying, hey, you know, this client early on, you know, I've already noticed that they do have fatigue around their platforms. They're not using all the technology they have. Um, and does that differ, kind of does that change our engagement strategy based on having that fatigue or not having that fatigue? I would say that there's a couple of different obstacles that I'll kind of face in the sales process that um, right out of the gates has nothing to do with me as a salesperson, but it's just kind of like you said, like that SaaS fatigue um, that may be happening inside an organization. Um, and so I think it's just good to like emphasize and ask questions about that experience and you'll kind of uncover different things like am I, that um, fatigue may have happened because they were excited about a solution and they did want to bring that solution in and things may have fell apart in the contracting process. There were some lack of expectations on how that worked. Um, maybe there's too, uh, too much of a focus on licenses. So we talked to some companies now where it's like, man, I'm paying so much for all these licenses for all these different like contracts. How much do I even need? How many people are logging in? for those different licenses we're paying for, um, or it could be customer experience. Like what we think and um, what I think is just kind of becoming more obvious is customer experience is a huge differentiator. Um, over 65% of buyers yeah. will buy based off of the experience over a product. And we have to really run with that. Um, and digital transformation, which is also a big topic, but I think it should be something to be discussed too, is that, um, you know, in the consumer world, right, when you're um, just kind of a consumer and you have all these apps on your phone, you know, you're going to be drawn towards the ones that have really good experience inside the product. Uh, but that's also the customer experience, right? So that could be um, the way you can interact with support or get tutorials. I mean, you're uh, drawn to that as a consumer in general. So in the B2B world, there's got to be an elevation of, of attention on that. And um, so that's something that you can overcome by just being being good at customer experience. And that can, that really is a philosophy across the whole organization on, on, the, on the seller side, on the supplier side. So think about marketing. You know, everybody's jumping on Twitter right now to respond to uh, complaints. You think about um, executives and the way they interact with customers. Do they even know which customers are being successful based off whatever criteria they want to pay attention to? Um, and, of course, the kind of the post-sales process. And, again, going back to the whole idea of the handoff, making sure that, I am doing a good job of setting expectations. I am doing a good job of, of laying down the plan for success based off of what their desired outcomes are. Um, and I think if we can rally around that and some of the, some of the um, areas that I think also could be fixed are like the documentation. I like, will go back to that because some of the reasons why Jay may have 
kind of came to mind for me was like, hey, why are people not implementing these um, strategies? Why are they not following through? Is I don't think there's enough context to the reason why people are doing things. Like, why would I want to put in um, the outcomes for that that new customer that I just sold in Salesforce CRM or somewhere in some kind of field or like some kind of note? Like, there's no context to it. I think it's part of the reason why that might happen. And even in the follow through, um, you know, how can I be as a CSM get more oxygen in my time to actually focus on proactive conversations? And why is that important? You know, those are I think there's just helpful context that we can create it if we can have a solution where outcomes are documented and not only does that, but the plan to achieve those. So what milestones need to be achieved, what are, what are the data points and KPIs we need to be pay, paying attention to? Because then it all comes together across the organization if there's context behind those um, those actions that need to be taken. So I don't know, I think that's kind of a, a long-winded kind of response, but it does take a lot of effort just from organization side of things, but even just a couple areas as a salesperson, you can, you can fight through it. Completely agree. And, and I think, you know, I was sitting there thinking as Dave was talking earlier too, one of the gaps that we see a lot in our customer base, whether it's, you know, small customers or even, even larger, larger SaaS businesses, they, they sort of have this gap area around product marketing. And if you think of product marketing as the people who come up with the way the solution's packaged, the value proposition for that, you know, for, for each segment of the market that we serve, um, the way that we price the product relative to the value and delivery costs and all those things, um, there, there's a, there's a pretty big gap there because ideally what we're talking about doing is solving a problem here with a process, right? We're saying, okay, let's teach the salespeople why it's important to document outcomes before it gets transitioned over to client success. Uh, let's, let's talk about why it's important for client success to not ask the same exact questions that in implementation team too, to ask the same exact questions the sales team asked um, in the sales process. But I think, you know, the, the more you standardize your, your offering and you make it prescriptive and you, match that to the specific problem that you're trying to solve for the client, this all gets a lot easier, right? Because if I sold package A, package A solves problem X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of know that that's intrinsic. Now I can ask the next layer of questions uh, as a CSM or as an implementation team, whatever to get down in the, in the weeds. But, but I know why you came. So I think there's this inverse thing that's going to happen as you scale up as a SaaS company. So curious, I mean, have you guys run into any of that kind of discussion in your, in yeah, your uh, travels? I'll try to actually build off what you're saying there, Jay, and then I'll go back to the fatigue piece. I, I think it comes down to understanding uh, the, the needs of the customer and then really, really aligning to, to the problem. So I, I really, the, the product marketing comment really resonates because uh, it's very easy to get into the, the you know, here's the feature, here's what it does, but we don't always know why we're using it. So that's where the uh, the alignment to the outcome. I actually just wrote a note down saying, well, if we're going to position anything, why wouldn't you position it against the, um, the, the problem and then the ultimate outcome that you're trying to, to drive there. Uh, and, and, you know, we obviously know that, that you can right. have a suite of, of solutions that are, are building to that, but uh, maybe there's, there's better framing that we should all be doing to make sure that it's clear that uh, as to why we're using certain functionality or, or services. Yeah. And I think in the early days, it's wild west, right? You sell again, you're sort of building the value propositions as you go. You're figuring out what resonates with your clients or your customers as you're selling. Uh, But once it gets more, once it gets more mature, then you can, you can sort of hone that. And then it becomes a little easier. I think too, you know, as we talk through this, you know, just think about what, what we're asking of customer success managers or, or sales reps. I mean, there is a, there's a, a skill set there to be able to talk, to prospects and customers the right way. So I, I've gone through this personally. You have to, you have to really 
um, be disciplined in the way that you are talking about the, the outcomes. Like you, you, it's, it's a different talk track, a different mindset. It's, it's a, a, a higher level of, of acumen that's necessary to elevate the conversation because you do want to, uh, if we're going to be trusted advisors, you have to talk at a more strategic level, but that is uh, that comes through um, a lot of, uh, a lot of, practice and a lot of experience over time. And you could probably say that we should be doing a better job from a training standpoint for, from a sell, for, for the selling side of the house, as well as the customer management side of the house. So something, something on the, hiring side. On the hiring side. Yeah. Yeah. Actually to that point, I was just yeah. talking to a guy this morning. He's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go hire consultants as my CSMs because um, without the strategy piece, we can't, we can't get there. And uh, I think that's very true for, for SaaS organizations. Um, and, and obviously you guys are, are thinking about that too in your world. Yeah, uh, spot on. How about this? Well, by the way, send those people over to us if you get a chance. We'll, <laughs> Maybe we'll that's, where the, that's where the partner uh, starts, starts to, to come along. <laughs> Have you ever seen the phenomenon where, uh, you know, the sales team closes a deal? And, and Drew, I may be talking to you on this one, but you, you, you close a fantastic deal. Client's so energetic. They're ready to go. And then you hand them off. The project manager takes over. Somebody who is not really they're, – they're thinking about the process, right? I'm a product expert, and I'm going to get them from – you know, I'm going to get them provisioned and set up on the system. That's what they're thinking. Uh, but, but what you just said, uh, Dave, is like, okay, well, how, how does the business conversation continue after right. that initial sale? Because that a lot of times is where the ball gets dropped. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, at least in our experience, people think it's a procedural issue, but it's just as much of a matter of who is talking to the client, who is introducing the next team to the client, and who's being introduced to the client. Uh, that, that's, in, that's, that's really important because somebody – needs to be able to capitalize on all that relationship that we've built during the sales process where I had the executive sponsor engaged and they're engaged just long enough to get it handed off to their team. But how do I keep that going? Because that, that's, you know, critical buyer relationship in the long run. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to actually pull in a couple of different, the product marketing topic, which I think has something to do with this as well. Um, and also just kind of that transition you mentioned, but I'll just start by saying I'm really eager to fix this because, um, Although I'd like to think that it's going to be a positive um, result whenever I get a phone call from a customer after I, they signed with me, or maybe I get my DocuSign being viewed after they've already signed it. Like those are never good signs. <laughs> and it's like, as a salesperson, I know it's going to be bad when I get a phone call from a customer and it's within a few weeks or months of signing. And it's just like, I'd love for them to say, Hey, this is awesome. But um, most of the time it's not the case, uh, but we're going to fix that. So um, I would say, um, kind of the idea of the, of the transition. And again, and we talked about that a little bit from the right questions and the discovery and documentation of outcomes. And I think just the word outcome in general will, will kind of make a mind shift by itself. But um, there's a relationship in sales and marketing I think we can learn from. And Dave and I talked about this a lot as far as like how data has made an impact on the way that organizations go to market. And sales and marketing, that relationship makes a big impact on it. So account-based marketing, right? So um, instead of kind of the whole idea of leads and maybe even just like, impressions or um, kind of people that come to our business, you know, there's kind of like a reactive way of like, what do they want? What do they want? What do they want? What do they want? And what do they find on our website? Don't even know. And now there's, there used to be this process down the funnel of this, of the sales and marketing funnel, which is like, is that a marketing qualified lead? Is that a sales qualified lead? Is this even right? The right thing yep. to be doing for us. And um, we were in an organization a few years ago that capitalized on that opportunity and a marketing channel. That was really fun. But um, that's going to pro- I mean, that is already starting to happen just from the roles that we're seeing come out together um, in the customer and product relationship. And it's kind of like how the playbook that they've talked about could really help there. So based on the data, which would be things like um, behavior in the product, uh, you know, these, these reviews of the business, re- the, re- the retention rates, um, the growth rates, 
and then kind of playing along with the, with the kind of um, the solutions they're using. So is it, is it a large organization? Are they using an integration that's really benefiting them? I mean, you can really dig into the customer kind of uh, DNA and who we're working with and start creating a more prescriptive process to go out to market with and say, hey, these people, these customers are really successful for these reasons. Um, we're going to base our product roadmap off of that, right? Product managers are always juggling around customer manager requests. What do we need to be building next? Why are we doing this? What's the, the reason for it? So if we can build a better relationship there and then we're going to build a better relationship going to market and everybody's going to be on the same page. But I think that is going to take a lot of work. But if we could do that, that would fix the transition a lot easier because we're going to start seeing new customers come in that we've already, we already know how it's going to work. We've already seen them come in before. They're similar to other customers that are already successful. Maybe they even talk to each other in a reference opportunity beforehand. And we're jumping in and we already know what, what kind of tasks need to happen to be successful right out of the gates. So um, that'll be exciting to see that kind of relationship form. Um, over time, but I think the more data, the better, and um, that'll be something we can look forward to. Yeah, and it seems to always be a, um, it's always a journey for every company to figure that out, because, it, you know, early stage companies tend to hire folks that, that are, um, they're utility players, right, and so, like, some of these best practices are things that you build up over time, or you bring somebody in, eventually that, that knows how to drive and build and create all that kind of stuff, and, and then it, you know, then it, then it becomes part of the process at that point. So I think there'll always right. be companies who need to, you know, accelerate beyond, you know, the way they've got things set up. Um, I think just the operations, like department within marketing has kind of fixed that some of that. So like before ABM ever became a real thing, you pr pretty much had to have a marketing operations, um, either a skill set or a person or a role. And they were able to kind of define that process for the team and kind of remove those barriers of SQL and MQL and just kind of create it as just like, hey, everybody we're going to sign up is going to be the right fit now, uh, or at least we're going to try. And now customer success, customer success operations is coming together, which, you know, can be that solution as well in regards to uh, product market fit and customer fit uh, based off what data you find. You're describing utopia, Drew. <laughs> Beautiful thing. One day. <laughs> we like to think of... And we like to think you, I mean, you draw the narrative, right? I mean, we always try to explain to people the, the narrative between kind of customer success ops and the evolution that sales ops and marketing ops both went through, right? I mean, they really sales ops are there to make sales better at their jobs, more efficient, more effective marketing, same thing. So why would you think of kind of customer success operations in any different way? And why would you think that you don't need it, right? Like at the end of the day, um, as you start thinking about the priorities that stack on top of a uh, leader of customer success, right? You might have multiple departments then you then have to worry about kind of the organizational design and the people managing. You have to be the escalation for clients. You, then you have to think about technology. Then you have to think about process. So all these things start to stack up. And so um, that's where for us, customer success operations makes such a, a makes so much sense, right? Is like we need to start looking at some of these discrete um, elements that stack on top of a, a leader's plate and, you know, let's take the technology, let's take the process, let's look at some transformational initiatives, and, and we need an operations arm that's really helping us to be successful. And, you know, to tie that into your point there, Drew, right, is like a new client comes in, you know, operations can help us then identify which segment they're in, what's the engagement strategy, you know, do we have all this documented in the system, are we following the right process, you know, and when is that renewal, when's the next outcome that they need, when is implementation, yada, yada, but uh, that's where we see a ton of success is in those scenarios where you can kind of help draw the parallel across the organization because then the next thing um, that happens, right, is you have to get customer success ops talking to sales ops, talking to marketing ops, and then that all of a sudden all the ops people need to be aligned as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious if, you know, as you guys um, have had conversations as well with kind of um, your customers or potential customers, you know, are you finding there are, you know, certain organizations or certain maybe um, organizational designs that kind of fit with what you guys are looking for in terms of the platform or 
you know, do you think there's some organizations that are a little bit more open to bringing in the technology based on how they're kind of uh, outlined right now or just how they're kind of stacking up? Is there anything you guys are seeing there? Yeah, um, I think you're totally right about the CS ops role. I think it just starts to grow, grow in importance and popularity for all the reasons you mentioned. So I think it's gonna be fun to watch that evolve. And within that, I think the role of data, um, data science and uh, analysis starts to become bigger and bigger. And what I would hope for is that, you know, the sales ops employees or, or roles start to collaborate with customer success ops. So with marketing ops um, and then product managers and some roles in the product organization, all of those roles should be orchestrating together if, if, we're, if we're doing anything to try to have a consistent type of um, dialogue within an organization. So I think that's, that's going to be a, a great uh, evolving trend. And then I just said this uh, the other day, but I think the role of solutions consulting is evolving as well. And there's a little bit uh, of conversation in, in my, my network anyway of, of putting that more post sales or, or experimenting with that role, reporting into customer success because of, of the, um, the knowledge that they have or the, the proximity they have to product. And, and sometimes they straddle uh, pre-sales and post-sales for, for even a brief period of time. And uh, some leaders are trying to, um, to take some more ownership of that um, on the customer success side because of, of uh, what it means to the, to the customer success organization over, over time. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch as well. I think generally we, um, we're building a platform that is going to uh, provide a, a lot of flexibility to um, address some of these things that we're talking about. And when we talk about collaboration, we talk about those internal uh, scenarios as well as, as well as the customer um, aspect of things as well. So part of our line of thinking is, well, if there is just one place where everybody comes together and uh, what would that look like and what should they be focused on and what tools do they need to actually um, uh, do, do the, the right type of work. So it, it'll be fun to see, see that evolve for us, for sure. I'm really interested about that point you just made too about the kind of the solution architect or um, sales engineer, kind of that, how that plays into post-sales. And uh, I'm sure Jay's kind of, you know, smiling a little bit over there because we've had a client recently where, um, you know, it's kind of introducing that role for them and it's new, you mm -hmm. know, to kind of put that into their uh, mindset that there is this person who can harvest all this knowledge and actually then, um, you know, make sure that that's plausible in the solution, demo that, make sure that we have all the right criteria and everything. Mm -hmm. But that is re a really interesting point to think about. Like they are, you know, they, if they acquire all this knowledge up front in the pre-sales process and there's a transition, you know, into, into post um, sale, you know, is that a constant, right? Is that is bringing that person along into the post sale world, at least through an implementation phase or something, is that really starting to make sense? Because um, now you've got a constant and to back to Jay's point, right? Where now you're not necessarily, um, dropping, we'll say, uh, an account executive and a, and a sales engineer or solution and solution architect. Um, but now you're actually keeping at least one thing constant for the customer. So I'm curious, um, anybody's thoughts on that, if that actually, you know, like that just seems to start to make sense as you start talking about it and thinking about it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where, what I was trying to say. I think people are starting to experiment with it. I think it gets complicated. If, it, if I've heard anything, it's, it gets complicated when you start to talk about the comp because of the, the, um, the nature of new business sales comp, comp and, and sold con has traditionally been aligned to, uh, new, new business. So uh, those that I've talked to, and it's not that many, it's, it's just something that I, I have observed, but they're, they are experimenting with it. And uh, for all the reasons that we just highlighted, you know, trying to figure out new ways to make that, um, that transition from sales to, to uh, CS or, or implementation just smoother without having to go back to the customer so that they have to repeat themselves and revisit topics over and over again. So uh, I, I think um, if there's any role that starts to, to present that opportunity, it could be that, that solutions consulting role or you know, CSMs are just going to continue to be introduced pre-sales right at the end as, as they start to present their account team and just to, to create some more of that con continuity. Um, but every organization is different, um, but it is, it is a trend I'm, I'm uh, eager, uh, eager to, to monitor and, and see where it goes. 
one of the things that we always try to differentiate our approach on as we go into various companies is their how high touch or how complex their engagement model really needs to be. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a general rule. It's not always true, but the, the, on the higher end of enterprise, if you're, you know, if you're doing six figure deals, if you're selling into large organizations, um, you know, multi-year contracts kind of thing, then, you know, you, you generally have a, a more robust engagement model that has more people involved. There's more of a transition on the opposite end where you're doing more of a transactional sale or more of an inside sale, you know, maybe, well south of six figures in general, then that model is going to look a lot different. It's going to have to be more automated. It's going to have to be more the product marketing version of what we sold versus the tribal knowledge version of what we sold in terms of value prop to the client. Mm-hmm. But curious if you guys are seeing, you know, similar, we're always trying to figure out how to better segment and, and understand the problems of, of, you know, what the B2B SaaS space is looking at. So that's one way we've honed in on how to do it. But I wonder if you've seen the same or anything else like it from, from the seat of a salesperson and kind of going in the market in the customer success space, um, you know, from my background, it was like a lot of things were like, Hey, how many employees does organization have? Um, how much revenue are they? What tools do they use? And I'm starting to think none of that stuff really matters right now. It really kind of, and this is maybe too early to judge on that, but I would say what you're talking about, Jay, more on the lines of high touch transactional, um, kind of the way they manage customers post sales really matters. It's, it's really not, not data available that you can find easily from a, from a standpoint of like prospecting, like, Hey, who do I need to go reach out to? Who's like the, the right fit for us? Um, it's really, it's really hard. I would say right now until there's more data available, but I would say um, there are organizations that really get excited about kind of the platform we're building when they have a high touch, um, at least a, a large team that, that focuses on high touch. Um, and it, it's interesting to see how many dynamics come, to, come into play. Those are probably the organizations that have, or I've thought about bringing in a, an architect in the post-sales process, being a part of the implementation. Yep. Um, maybe even organizations have multiple products, so multi, multiple products, I would say, like literal SKUs by themselves, not just kind of add-on features, but like multiple products, high touch. Um, I also kind of look for things like um, how many remote workers do they have? Like, do they have customer managers or CSMs or relationship managers that are in the field that are kind of visiting accounts pretty often? Um, that would make me think that there, there's a lot more of, of a plan with those larger customers to be successful. So there's that. And I would also, um, and, and those are definitely the ones that want to talk about outcomes too. So in our conversations, like yep. with enterprise, like they actually pay attention and try to deliver on outcomes and not even just from like a, from a product perspective, but from a business perspective, right? So if you're a really large uh, organization that serves a customer across multiple, maybe product segments, like you really have to care about their business, not just like, what unique thing you're solving for one unique department. So uh, we're definitely excited to go into that space, but even in the lower space, like more that transactional stuff, I think there's still some things we could help solve from a data perspective, just kind of understanding behavior across that lower segment or kind of the, the low touch segment. You know, you hear, you'll hear things like um, in the CS space about automation and how can I be a CSM that kind of nurtures my kind of low touch accounts in an automated way. And that's, I'm sure that's helpful. Um, I think there could also be some, some more to do there in regards to some analytics around uh, behavior and, and, and kind of achieving or not achieving different milestones that we've laid out for those types of customers. So I would say those two angles are definitely unique, but we're excited to go after the high touch for sure. Yeah. And, and you may find a lot of transferability outside of SaaS someday if you need to jump outside, right? From a market, from a TAM perspective, you, you may have opportunities that exist in that model elsewhere. Because the same, this is not a unique problem 
to SaaS companies, right? I mean, getting value out of what you purchased may not be as visible or easy to, to measure um, with proxy measures that we have coming from usage data and that type of thing in the SaaS world. But, you know, ma managing strategic accounts and, and doing the transitions and um, having a, a, a highly uh, complex sale, right? Where you have multiple stakeholders and multiple different types of people involved is, is certainly not a, not a unique thing to our industry. Yeah, what is your experience with um, non-SaaS? in regards to customer success operations or just in general? Um, in general, I'd say super nascent. We have run across maybe a couple of companies. And actually, it's interesting where we've had the most, probably the, the most convert, the most number of conversations relative to client success in non-SAS is with things like digital agencies and folks who want to, you know, they want to have, a, they have a high, a super high touch managed service with their clients. Um, but it's more of like digital agency kind of world. And, and so they're just wrapping their heads around it. It's not really usage based. Um, and a lot of times the only time we're even talking to them is because they built some kind of product in the background that they're using as a, that they want to deploy as a SaaS tool and they're trying to figure out, do they need to do customer success now or later? We've actually not done a ton of business outside of the SaaS world. We don't really focus on it. Um, but I can't help but feel something there over yeah. time. I see more and more different types of industries popping up with roles that have success in the title and I know where they're getting it from. I just don't know what they're doing about it yet. Mm -hmm. I'm super interested about um, what's happening there in the Indianapolis area in terms of, you know, SaaS investments and tech startups and that kind of thing. So you guys seem, seem to have a lot going on there. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great time to be in Indianapolis. Um, there's a lot of uh, momentum on the tech side of the house. And we, over the last few years have had some success stories that have kind of spawned that uh, there is um we come out of a venture studio called High Alpha that is uh, trying to spin up new B2B SaaS companies and they, they are a VC as well. Um, and there's, um, there's more kind of external capital coming in. So we've, we've got a lot, lot going. We've got a long way to go. You know, we're not uh, on the same level as some of the bigger, bigger tech cities, but uh, there's, there's a lot of great, great activity. We, we are surrounded by great, great schools. Um, the, the network is really extends beyond uh, the, the state, which is always powerful. You know, even things like we've got direct flights to, to San Francisco now, which uh, just connects us in new ways. And um, that, the, there's, a, there's a good mix of, of activity there, getting more, more credit maybe for, for the, the startup community that, that's been building here and uh, really just trying to, to grow these, these organizations. So, um, yeah, we, we love Indy and uh, we're, we're excited to tell the story and, and be a part of it. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.